if you'll turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, we're making our way through 1 Peter and uh, we're in a series, we're calling it Weird. And uh, if you're visiting with us, if this is the first time you're here in this series, the word weird really, it means of supernatural origin. And our lives as believers, there ought to be something that's supernatural about our lives. There ought to be something that's in that sense weird, odd, different about our lives as believers. There ought to be something that the world looks at it and, and just says it's weird. And all to the glory of the gospel. All to the glory of God. And today we, we're in verse 6 and I was thinking about it this morning as I was praying for today and thinking about it and I thought, was last week Easter? Feels like last week, it was like Easter was six months ago. I usually, I tell Karen, usually it feels like every other day I'm in the pulpit. Like, didn't we just do this two days ago? But Easter feels like it was a long time ago, but uh, for some reason it was a crazy, crazy week. But we looked at verses 3 through 5 last week, and this week we're going to look at verses 6 through 9 and really understand that in the Greek, and Tony will validate this, verses 3 through 12 would be one long sentence. Um, I preach long enough, and there's a lot of meat here, and so I've broken this sentence in the Greek. It would be one long sentence. And, and it started with this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything about what we're seeing here is about glory to God. It's about blessing. It, it, is, it is directed at God as praise for His grace, for His salvation, for His, as we talked about in verses 1 and 2, ushering us into a new identity as the people of God. Everything in verses 3 through 12, one long sentence, the, the point being, how great is our God? How amazing is our God? How, how awesome is our God that, that we would partake with Him? That these things that we talk about today, these, these attributes, characteristics, blessings, they all flow from God. The, the primary point of what Peter is writing here is praise be to God. Praise God. Not only in saving us, but as we see, to, as we see today, praise be to God even in trials. Even in trials, He's worthy to praise. Even in allowing us to go through trials. Even in sometimes maybe authoring us to go through trials. He is worthy to be praised. And, and that's what Peter is saying. And, and that is weird. That, that we would worship a God that would allow us to go through trials, that would cause us to go through trials, that we would still say, blessed be that God. Yes, Peter says, absolutely. And he's going to show us why today. No, no matter what, no matter what, God is worthy to be praised. Even in Job, though you slay me, Job says, though you slay me, yet I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Naked I came into the world, naked I leave. You know what he said? Blessed be God. No matter what, no matter what, God is worthy to be praised. And, and no matter what we face, why? Because in Christ, we have a new identity and therefore we can rejoice because of God and His great grace. We can rejoice because of our identity. 
because of our Father, because of our inheritance, because of grace, because of, of all of this that we've, that we've seen. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure in the trial. Why? Because it, you do not lose your identity. You cannot lose your identity. As Paul said in Romans 8, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Our new birth as believers has ushered us into a living hope that promises inheritance. It promises it promises ultimate salvation. It, it promises a joy that transcends our circumstances. See Philippians 4. We talked about it, and that 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 identity, that inheritance, that that security in who God is and that He is for us, not against us, all, all of that is where our focus is to be. And that's really the word, if we were to sum this, drill this down to one word today, really I, I think Paul is talking, uh, Peter is talking about focus. The, the reality of our new identity, the reality of all that comes with that, all that's promised with that, all that's certain with that, we must continually focus on that. And, and you see on your handout the main point, as the people of God, we must continually focus on who we are in Christ, our new identity, our new hope, not on our circumstances. And that will rejoice in grace and praise and glory to our Father. Look what, look what Peter writes in verse 6. In this, in this, he's pointing up to verses 3 through 5 that we saw in, on Easter, that no matter what, you, as a, you and I as believers will be vindicated. That, that according to God's great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ, to obtain an inheritance that, will not, that is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away. It is reserved in heaven. And not only that, you and I, believer, are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In that, in that focus... That when, Paul, when Peter says, in this, that's what he's talking about. All that he just said in verses 1 through 5. In this, you greatly rejoice. Even though, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found a result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. In the midst, in the midst of trials, in the midst of whatever you're going through, and we'll look at it today, remember who you are. Focus on who you are. Focus on whose you are. Focus on what is to come. On Christ, the new identity, not our circumstances. It's real easy, and Satan wants us to take our focus off of our king and off of our inheritance and off of our identity and off of all these things in trials to become fixed on the temporal rather than the eternal. To, to begin to interpret God based on our circumstances instead of interpreting our circumstances based on who we know God to be. 
Even Friday morning, I was reminded of this. I got a text from a, 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 one of my good friends. I don't see him as much anymore, but he, he's a great friend. And his wife texted me, and, and 46 years old, triple bypass surgery. Just like that. Temporal versus the eternal. It's real easy to focus on the temporal over the eternal. To keep our eyes uh, not focused on the prize of salvation and the fellowship that we have with God and the fact that we have a Savior who has adopted us and will be, who is for us and not against us and who has offered us eternity to begin to live for the things of this world rather than the things that praise Him and give Him glory. We rather live for the praise of men and and again, Peter is, Peter is dealing with all of that in verse 6 through 9. And I, and I think we'll see in our own lives the, these truths and, and that we struggle as well, that we lose our focus. That we begin to focus on the temporal and not the eternal. That we get, begin to focus on the things of this earth and not of the things of, the, of our real citizenship, our, our, of heaven, of a new heavens and a, and a new earth. So Peter instructs us, again, how to rejoice no matter what we face. How to keep focused no matter what we face. And, and look at verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Listen, Paul, Peter is saying, I keep saying Paul, sorry. Peter is saying that we can have hope in any circumstance we encounter when our hope is rooted in our future inheritance as the children of God. If our hope is rooted in our identity in Christ, then we will be able to rejoice in all circumstances. Everything that Peter writes about is connected to our identity, to who we are in Christ, who we are as a part of God's family, as His people. That we've, and, and we've seen that over the last couple of weeks. And based on our identity, based on all that that identity ushers into, hope, inheritance, salvation. God's people are therefore able to rejoice in any circumstance, including trials and suffering directly, again, directly related to who they are in Christ. They are suffering simply because they are Christians. Please hear that. Peter's audience is suffering because they are believers. And it's very interesting that the word that Peter uses here for greatly rejoice, that, that scholars really find no use of that word in secular literature. Outside of the Bible, they do not find the word that, that Peter uses here. It, it, what, what, what they think that's saying is, what Peter's saying is the joy, talking about weird, the joy that Peter speaks about is a distinctly Christian joy that singularly comes from your identity in Christ. There is a joy that is spoken of here. The joy that Peter speaks of here won't be found in the things of this world. They won't be found in the temporal. That's weird. Our joy, our joy, our, our ability to rejoice no matter what, that ought to be weird. And, and Peter is saying it is weird. It's distinctly Christian. And, and you see it on your hand now. The only hope that Christ offers, only the hope that Christ offers produces this type of rejoicing. That's what Peter is saying. It's supernatural. 
It's fueled singularly in Christ. It's fueled singularly in the fact that you and I are brothers and sisters of Christ through our faith and the inheritance that comes with that. L- listen to 1 Thessalonians 1, 6. Peter writes, You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. You see where it's rooted? It's supernatural. The joy of a Christian is a supernatural joy, rejoicing at all times. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. He says, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. That's weird. But it's supernaturally sourced. And the word for rejoicing, it literally means full of joy, overjoyed, inexpressible, or glorious. It literally has a touch of heaven already attached to it. That's weird. Because it's supernatural. One commentator I read said that our joy as a believer is to be lit up by the light of the future. Let the light of the future shine light on your circumstances. And what Peter is saying is, and and what he's saying to his original readers, but what he's saying to you and I is, we must interpret the present trials in light of our future inheritance. We must interpret the present struggles, the present trials in light of our inheritance. Then we can rejoice. Connect them. Connect everything to who you are. Connect everything to your inheritance. Connect everything to your identity in Christ. Then, then you can rejoice. Why? Because our hope in Christ and our, secu- and our inheritance is secured. It's a secured inheritance. Hope, hope leads to joy. Hope fuels. What Peter is saying is that hope fuels our joy. And listen, this is not a denial of pain and sorrow. Peter is not saying that. Because of these verses, some some people wrongly conclude that, that believers should never mourn, they should never be sorrowful or sad. That is not what Peter is saying. What Peter is saying is that our sorrow is different from that of the world because we do not sorrow in hopelessness. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, says that we, we mourn, yet our mourning is seasoned with hope. With hope. We mourn. Uh, we mourn here. To, our family, just our small little family here at Odessa proves that. We're not immune from sorrow. We're not immune from pain. We're, we're a hurting bunch of people. Yet we continue to worship our great God. Why? In hope. In confident assurance of, of, of that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And by, by apart from Him, no one comes to the Father. That salvation is found in Him alone. That forgiveness of sin is found in Him alone. We, we mourn, but our mourning is mixed with, seasoned with the hope of the future. E- even in 2 Corinthians 6.10, it says we are sorrowful, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing even in the sorrow there's rejoicing why because of our promised inheritance our future psalm 30 verse 5 says weeping may last but a night but guess what 
joy comes in the morning. Weeping may last but a night, but joy comes from... Look, the Psalms are full of people who mourned, mourned, who questioned, but it was mixed with hope. And, 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 and again, Peter is saying that in our passage, and look what he says. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. P- Peter, says, Peter says the word that he uses here literally means many-colored, many-colored. What he's saying is there was not just one trial in view here. The application of what Peter is saying is, is, is whatever you're going through today, Peter applies. No, no matter what we face as a believer, listen, Peter applies. These are the truths that I want to inform your response to trials, that I want to season your experience in trials. Peter is speaking in such a way that no matter what you're going through, no, your, no matter what your current response, Peter says rejoice. And, and the way he words it is very interesting because literally he's saying, if you're going through trials and you're currently rejoicing, you know what he says? Keep rejoicing. He says at the same time, he's saying by the way he worded it, if you're going through a trial and you're not currently rejoicing, begin rejoicing. No matter what you're going through, no matter what your current response is to what you're going through, here's what Peter says, rejoice. Rejoice. And no matter what we face in the hope of Christ, in the hope of Christ, you see what's in the hope of Christ, we can rejoice. That's weird. Listen to me, that's weird. Again, the Bible says even though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. That's weird. We, we have to view our sufferings and trials in light of eternity, in light of the hope that we have been promised in Christ, in light of the future inheritance that only comes through Christ. And, and, and that's really what Peter is saying. You see there, the hope, it's an anticipatory hope. That even in the midst of current suffering, one day, one day, one day, Peter is saying anticipate, long for, look forward to the day that you will take off immortality immort- and you will put on mortality. Hope in that day. Hope in the day where you will be home, that you will not sojourn as an alien in a foreign land. Hope for the day when you get back. I'm leaving Wednesday to go out of town, and I can't wait to get back Friday, back to my family. Hope. Hope. Rejoice that this is not your home. We suffer. We struggle, we face trials. In these, know that even what Peter says, listen, he says, for a little while. Listen, I, Peter's not making light of our, str- our struggles. We, we, this body, people are dealing with some very heavy, long-lasting things, but yet, here's what Peter's saying. In view of eternity, in view of eternity, what we, face today, what we face here on earth is, is, is a little while. In view of eternity, it's a little while. 
What Peter is saying is that, that he's reminding us in our suffering, in trials, that these trials, these sufferings will not have the final say. That, that our anticipation of being reunited with our king, with our father, with our homeland, it fuels our hope. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, these momentary light afflictions are producing in us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. And Paul dealt with heavy, heavy stuff. In 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9, he said he, had the, he, he, he believed that he was going to die at that very moment. They had the weight of death on them. And yet he called it momentary and light. How? In view of eternity. In view of eternity. It's, it's temporal versus the eternal. We suffer now for a little while. We will rejoice for eternity. That's why Peter could write this. That's why Paul could write this. And he goes on to say even in, if necessary... There, there is a need, there may be a need for our trials. And in verse 7, Peter is going to speak to one in particular. In, in, in chapter 4, verse 12, Peter is going to say, Do not be surprised by the fiery ordeal that you're going through. Don't be surprised. And Peter gives us, and I, I want to give, give to us a couple of truths with regarding our trials here to help us understand them in a perspective. And you see them there in your handout. A is, we've got to understand, listen, suffering is normal. It is a normal part of life lived as an alien in a fallen world. It's a normal part of life. This is not our home. We live in a fallen world, a world that has rebelled against God, a world that wants to choose for itself what is right and wrong, a world that wants to deny God, ignore God, belittle God, wants to really get rid of God. That's the world we live in. And look, our citizenship, Philippians 3.20, is in in heaven. We have an otherworldly identity. We have an otherworldly allegiance. We have an otherworldly inheritance. And all of that, all of that leads to opposition. And, and Jesus, again, Peter walked with Jesus. All, almost all of what we see here in Peter is sourced, and I'm sure what he learned from Jesus. And Jesus said this, I send you out as sheep among the wolves. He says, do not be surprised if the world hates you. Why? Because it hated me. I, I, I believe... Sing, I believe totally that that's what P, that's probably Jesus or Peter has Jesus's words in his mind when he says, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal. And, and Jesus, when he told Peter and the disciples, do not be surprised when the world hates you. It's normal. Second Timothy 3.12, all those who deliver, all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted Romans 8 15 you name it Jesus was very open and honest this is what I'm sending you out sheep among the wolves do not be surprised when the world hates you why because it hates me but but suffering not only is normal here suffering is also under the control of God no matter what we face 
Uh, one of my favorite verses, I, I believe a verse that really could, you know, could be an umbrella that overarches the entire Bible would be Genesis 50-20 when Joseph is standing before his brothers and they come to him and they realize that he is alive and that, that, they, that they sold him into slavery and they, they were traitors to him and yet here he is alive standing before him and he says, you meant it for evil. What do you say, Raul? I thought that was you saying it. God meant it for good. No, no, I quote the word. Hide the word. I'm glad you hide the word in your heart. Look, look at what he says in verse 7. Here's the good. You, the, the trial, here's the good. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by, by, by fire, may be found a result in praise and glory and, and, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The why behind the trial? Praise of our Father. A people who are singularly devoted to their Father no matter what. A people who will praise their Father no matter what. A people that will stand in front of the very people that acted as enemies as Joseph did to his, to his, as Joseph's brothers did to him and say, you meant it for evil? Listen to me. God meant it for good. Trials are always under the sovereignty of God. One day, listen, one day it'll all make sense. One day it'll be, it'll be made right. We will not, we cannot and will not be separated from our Father, from our inheritance, from our identity. That offers hope. And, and what Peter says, what Paul says, is, is the hope that you and I, believer, we will not suffer needlessly. We will never suffer we will never go through trials needlessly and you we were reminded time and time and time again in the bible that that the believers they did not suffer needlessly meaning it was never outside the sovereignty of god we must allow this hope in christ to inform how even how we view suffering let our hope let the promises of god let the greatness of god let his character inform even our suffering bring it to light give us a right perspective regarding it filter our trials through the character of god through through who we are in in even in the midst of that trial we, we've got to be rooted our hope has to be rooted in who we are and who god is but also we've got to understand this and we see it in verse 7 that god uses trials to refine our faith to refine our faith, and that results in praise and glory, not only of our Savior, but for us in, in His return. Throughout the Bible, you see the reality that suffering proves and tests our faith. You can write down a couple places if you want to go look at them. Genesis 22.1, Numbers 14, 20 and 21, Deuteronomy 8. Peter is reminding the believers of what God is up to even in the midst of a trial, that they are not outside the sovereignty of God, and as, as such, they're not outside the use of God. He's working. Even Romans 8, to conform us into the image of His Son. And, and again, this, He is at work. This is a theme, a theme throughout the Bible. If, if You can go to Romans 5. 3 through 6, let's go to James 1, just because it's one page to the left in my Bible. Just flip one page to the left, James 1, 2 through 4. 
Because James, and I do this because James uses, again, he would have seen Jesus alive, living there. He would have, he would have seen, heard these things. He uses almost the same language. In verse 2, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. You see the same word there, various? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results so that it may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Believers can have hope, can rejoice even in trials. Why? Because of what is God is doing in them and through them. And that is weird. It, that requires supernatural resources. That requires an other world mindset. It requires an other world hope. And God is up to something. And in this... Again, the end result, in Peter is saying, the end result is going to be the genuineness of faith. And, and what Peter is teaching us is that trials, when viewed rightly, they have a sanctifying and a purifying effect on our faith. They purify our faith. Uh, I mean, even in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 18 uh, Paul speaks to this. He says, For it is not that it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he who the Lord commends. There's a sanctifying, there's a purifying effect there in the Lord commending. He says in verse 7 of chapter 13 of 2 Corinthians, We pray to God that you do no wrong, not that we ourselves may appear approved, but that you may do what is right, even though we may appear unapproved this world there's trials there's struggles and yet god is using those to refine our faith and the end result of these trials is a purer faith and i think about matthew 25 23 where where at the end of the day again what he's speaking to i believe is that we want to hear well done good and faithful servant Ultimately, we want to be approved of by God. Ultimately, we want to have st stood our ground. We wanted to be faithful. First John 2, I believe it's around 28, says, Live in such a way that you do not shrink back in shame at His appearing. We want to be found faithful. And, and Peter uses an analogy here that, that would have been very familiar to his readers, gold would, again, most precious of metals. They, they knew that gold was refined by fire. It would burn off the dross. It would burn off all the impurities. And purification was the benefit of adversity. Purification was the benefit of adversity. And that's what Peter is saying here. And yet, what he's saying is, gold eventually perishes and james again in chapter 5 speaks to that verse 1 come now you rich weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth eaten your gold and your silver have rusted their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire it is in these last days that you have stored up your treasure Gold was of tremendous value, but here's what Peter is saying. Gold is not of ultimate value. Our faith in Christ is of ultimate value. Why? Because it ushers in eternal salvation. 
That's what Peter is saying. Our faith in Christ ushers us into an inheritance that doesn't fade or perish, that has eternal rewards. Thus, it is to be regarded more highly than gold. The issue here of what Peter is saying is worth. It's value, it's priorities. Our faith is, more, is worth more to us than gold. Why? Because it produces eternal rewards. Gold only offers earthly rewards. That's what Peter is saying. And that's weird. Peter is saying, look, li- live and, and allow these trials to purify your faith. Why? Because it ushers us into eternity. And we live, you and I as believers, we live, in a, we live in the, under the rule of a king and a kingdom that is really an upside-down ethic. It's upside-down. Love your enemies. That doesn't make any sense. Do not retaliate. That doesn't make any sense to this world. Do not curse in return. If you're insulted, turn the other cheek. Don't just go one mile, go the extra mile. Someone asks for something, give them your cloak as well. Lay down, be willing to lay down your life, even for your enemies. All of those are contrary to the ethics of this world. All of those are perfectly in line with God's kingdom. And, and we don't live according to the ways of this world. We live as aliens. And that's going to bring about suffering. Why? Because we don't live according to the ways of this world. I mean, persecution, you see it there. Persecution can become a strange gift to believers because it offers a chance to show the world the surprising generosity and love of our Savior that otherwise would not come about. Trials offer us an opportunity to show off the awesomeness of our God. And let me explain. You can't show how you love your enemies unless you have enemies you can't you can't show that you can't show how jesus loved us even when we were enemies romans 5 8 through 10 unless you have enemies you can't turn the cheek turn the other cheek as jesus turned the other cheek unless you are first insulted you can't show off that type of love you, you can't show a hope that is outside of this world unless everything of this world is stripped away and you still hope in the one who is promised because he's faithful. See, see what Peter is saying? That's the opportunity that trials and suffering bring to show the world how awesome our Savior is that our hope is not of this world. You can't show the love that we've first been shown unless, un, unless there's action, unless there's opportunities. Unless there's opposition. Trials, trials are opportunities to show our Savior's worth. That we will praise Him no matter what. That, again, that was the issue of Job. Job 1.8. Job, I mean, Satan accuses God of basically having bought Job's affections. Does Job worship you for nothing? He's saying you've, you've blessed him so much, of course he worships you. Strip everything away and I promise you he won't worship you. Okay. The issue of Job is, is why do you worship? Do you worship God for the stuff? It's easy to worship God for stuff. The world worships God for stuff. 
I mean, if God gave all of us BMWs, you, and you become a believer, you get a brand new BMW. What do you think the world's going to do? I'll take your BMW. They don't want your God. It's trials. It's struggles. It's hope. It's this purified, purified faith. And again, it's purifying where is our hope rooted. Even in Deuteronomy 8, God allowed Israel to be tested so that they would understand their hearts, so that they would know where their hearts were. And sometimes for us, that's the case. Listen, if we've placed our hope in finances, when finances go south, guess where our hope goes? If our hope is in relationships, when relationships go south, guess where our hope goes? If our hope is in social standing or, or our reputation, when that goes, guess where our hope goes? When, when our hope is in sports or grades or abilities or looks or marriage or kids or all these things, when those things go, you know where our hope goes? Our hope goes with it. All those things are worldly. They're great blessings, don't get me wrong, but they can't be the source of our hope. And the reality is, if we're honest, all of us, all of us hope in those things. All of us do, to some degree or another. And God might allow trials in our lives to burn off that junk. So that our faith would be singularly rooted in Him. And trials and suffering, you see it there, reveal and they strip away the idolatry that fights for our hearts and allegiance. They might even purify our understanding of who He is. Because all of us are prone to, to forming an image of God to our own liking. To, to forming a God who, worshiping a God who likes what we like, doesn't like what we don't like, approves of what we do, doesn't approve, you know, doesn't approve, hates the things that we don't struggle with, totally approves the things that we're good at. Hey, listen, at the end of the day, all of us are guilty. Are, are, the tendency is to formulate the worship of a God that looks a lot like us. We end up worshiping ourselves. That's idolatry. Making an image of God that is not the true God, that's idolatry. False gods fight for our resources. These false gods fight for our devotion. These false gods fight for our time. They fight for our energy. They fight for our praise. They fight for our glory. And listen to me. God, we serve a God who is jealous, who is unashamedly jealous and will not allow His children to waste their lives on worthless things. And so in His grace, He pursues you, even if it means a trial, even if it means suffering, to purify your faith, to bring you back. Because He is a jealous God. Not jealous like you and I. Jealous is like you and I. It's like, you have it and I don't have it, and therefore I'm mad that you have it and I don't want you to have it. That's not it. God is jealous for himself because he's that awesome. And he won't allow it. Just like if I saw my kid about to seriously hurt themselves, I would stop them. Why? Because I'm jealous for him. That's good. God sees us about to wreck our lives or damage our reputations and our testimonies and all that and, and live for lesser things. That's good for Him to draw us back, even if it means trials. To burn that stuff off of our lives so that we will trust in Him. Even again in James, 
One page back in James 2. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. Their view of God was that, you know, that they would serve the rich. Because the, why? Because ultimately the rich would serve them. Take care of people that could take care of you. Again, they've added to their faith personal favoritism, polluted faith. They were, they were picturing a, a, a picture to the world of God that wasn't accurate. They were not doing things for the glory of God. They were doing things for the glory of themselves. And we do the same, and sometimes God burns that stuff away. And it brings us, again, trials bring us to the place where we trust and praise and glory in God alone. And listen, that can be a painful place to get to, but that's a good place to dwell. That's a good place to dwell. Why? Because only God is perfectly faithful. All these other things that we trust in and hope in, listen to me, they will perish. They will perish. And in the end, what Peter is saying is that Christian faith will prove to be more genuine, more real than anything else in this world. Money and fame and praise of men, they may help you now, but they will not deliver you from the wrath of God that is to be revealed due to sin. Only faith in Christ will deliver you. Only faith in Christ will usher you into that eternal salvation. Everything else is going to be gone. Peter is saying his eternity is in the balance. Live for what lasts. Pursue what lasts. Even in, even in Timothy, Peter says, for, for worldly discipline is of little profit, but godly discipline is good for all seasons. You can spend your whole life looking great here on this earth. You know what? This body is done. But godliness lasts eternity. He's saying live for what lasts. And only our faith in Christ is ultimately going to deliver us from our, from, the, from our sins. Ushers us into forgiveness of sin. Delivers us from that final judgment that's coming due to sin. And in this, trials prove our faith to be genuine, to be real. And then at the same time, they show off the awesomeness of our faith, Savior whose worth outweighs anything else in this world. And so, we can rejoice. Why? Because of what I just said. Our faith is refined and our Savior is glorified. And our hope, our hope becomes personified before a watching world. And one day, one day, again, we say it all the time, Romans 8.18, one day it will all be worth it. The present sufferings will not be worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us. One day, one day, we will realize that our faith and all that delivers us into and from was of utmost value, was the most precious. Peter's saying, live for that. And the process of testing... The process of refining is painful, but God's intention is good. We have a large bush in our, in our yard that, that hides the air conditioner. And periodic, and it gets taller and taller, and periodically I have to cut that thing way back. Way back. Now, and, and it's in that stage right now, a few, about a month ago, I cut it way back. Listen, it looks ugly. It is ugly. 
And I, I would go regularly, I would go out and look at it like, when are you going to like grow back? Come on, grow back, grow back. The other day, it, we had gone, when we had gone to Washington, I came back and it had been about eight days since I looked at it. And every place where I had cut, there was about eight buds growing out of that end that had been cut off. And it reminded me, that's trials. That thing looked ugly. Still looks ugly. Surprised we haven't got a letter from the Homeowners Association. Listen to me. When it grows back, it's going to be fuller than it ever was. It's going to be more healthy than it ever was. And when I cut back, here's what I realized. When I cut it back, I realized that hidden were all these dead branches, all these useless branches that were sucking the life out of the real alive branches and sucking the life out of the, the plant. And I was going, able to go in and I was able to trim all those useless branches off. Why? So that the, so that the real areas would get all the nourishment, all the, all the resources they needed to live. That's our lives. That's idolatry. Idolatry sucks all the energy and the resources and the devotion and the love and all the things that are solely worthy, of Christ is solely worthy of, solely deserving of, and idolatry sucks all that away. You know what God does? He comes and trims all that junk off so that energy now can go to God instead of these wasted areas on us. Is that painful? Yes. Does it make our lives look ugly for a season? Yes. In the end, does it result in more praise and glory for our Savior? Unequivocally, yes, Peter says. God's intention in these trials is good. It may look ugly for a season. It may look ugly for the rest of your life. And yet, God is praised by somebody who will worship Him in the ugliness. Who will worship Him, as Job says, for nothing here on this earth. knowing, living, that one day we're going to stand before Him. And here's what I want to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Peter closes by saying in verses 8 and 9, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of of your souls. God's children can rejoice in trials and remain loyal even though we have not seen our Savior physically because through faith we're certain, certain of a future salvation. Peter himself would have walked personally with the Lord, would have witnessed personally Jesus and His miracles. But that was not the case for his readers. Listen, that's not the case for the majority of believers. If you were, I, I, I tried to think about this in my mind. It was just too much. Try to think about all the believers who saw, physically saw Jesus live versus all the believers in Jesus Christ who have not physically seen, who did not physically see Jesus live. The, the proportion was unbelievable. I mean, I like math, but I had to stop. First of all, I don't know how many real believers there are, so that right there created a little bit of a problem. But you see what I'm saying? The vast, vast majority of God's people, the people who have been ushered into His family, adopted into His family through faith, never saw Him physically. And yet they believe. 
confidently believe, even to the point that they're willing to rejoice in trials. The, the issue, listen, the issue is not seeing. The issue is believing. It's faith. Believers, we saw this in Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous shall live by faith. Romans 1.16, 17, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile, for in it the righteous shall live by faith. Hebrews 10.38, the righteous shall live by faith. Even 2 Corinthians 4, we read verse 17. In verse 18, Paul goes on to say, Do not look to what is seen, but what is unseen. Why? Because what is unseen is permanent. What is seen is temporary. What Peter is saying again is fix your eyes on Christ, not on the trial. Every, listen, every second, listen, every second, Second, of your struggle and misery from the fallen nature of man in this sinful world, every single part of your struggle is producing a peculiar glory, a peculiar weird glory that you will get because of that. Listen, it could be criticism or it could be cancer. There, it, is, it is not worthless. It is producing in you a peculiar glory. It could be slander. It could be sickness. Peter is saying it's not meaningless. It is producing in you a, an eternal weight of glory. That's what Peter is reminding them of. Why? That, we, that will be part of our inheritance. And I think about, as I, as I was preparing this, uh, I, I thought about Romans and in chapter 4 of Romans. L- listen, listen, this is about Abraham and Sarah. And we, we think about Abraham and Sarah, and, and, and we understand that story. They were promised a child. They had none. They were old. And, and, but, but listen, it was a long time between when God promised that child and when Isaac was born. A long time. And, and listen, to Ro- listen to what Paul says about, about Abraham. Chapter 4, starting in verse 17. As it was written, a father of many nations have I made you in the presence of him whom he believed. Even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Listen Listen to this. In hope against hope, Abraham believed. So that he might become a father of many nations according to that which has been spoken. So shall your descendants be. Listen to verse 19. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Listen. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving, there it is again, glory to God. And listen, being fully assured that what God had promised he was able to perform, therefore, his faith was credited to him as righteousness. Everything about Sarah and Abraham's flesh, everything about their sight, said, you ain't having kids. This ain't happening. 
it ain't going to happen. Everything about what they could see said God is not going to fulfill this promise. And yet, what they saw, again, it didn't jive, didn't align with what God had promised, and yet, in hope against hope, all Abraham had to hope in was the character of the God who had promised. And with respect to that promise, in spite of what his flesh saw, in spite of what his circumstances said, he hoped. Abraham had no reason to hope except in the character and the promises of God. When he looked at what he saw, it didn't make sense. And yet, when he thought about the promises of God, he did not waver, but he grew stronger in faith. Abraham's confidence was not in what he could see. It was in what had been promised. And Abraham was fully assured that the God who had promised was able. Fully assured. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says the same thing. We do not walk by sight, but by faith. And God is most glorified in a people who don't have to see, but simply trust. God is glorified, again, in a people who don't have to see and yet believe. And you and I battle the same thing today. Is is God, no matter how long it takes, is is He a promise keeper? As we sojourn in a foreign land, we face trials. Is He faithful? And the most important thing, again, the most important thing is not what we see. That's the trial. That's the enemy. That's the struggle. But whom we have loved and are committed to. That's the most important thing. Because ultimately, you and I are not looking for deliverance from circumstances. We're looking for deliverance from sin and its consequences and its power. And what Peter is saying is that the joy that Jesus offers transcends trials. That's why we can rejoice. I think about even Hebrews 11 in verse 36. It says, Others were tortured. Listen to this. It says, Some women received back their dead by resurrection, but others were tortured. Listen, not accepting their release so they might obtain a better resurrection. Here was the challenge. They could have forsaken Christ and lived temporarily, but they stood true to their commitment to Christ and died temporarily so they would live eternally. They, forgot, they went, were willing to forego the temporal for the eternal. They were not willing to to live for the temporary. They lived for the eternal. And and three truths to close here that that Peter offers us to to really build our anticipatory hope. The first thing is this. Christ has come. Understand that He has come. God, in His great love, He sent His one and only Son. The one that the Old Testament, the prophets, everything about the Old Testament longed for that day, the the promised one, and God was faithful. Understand where Jesus, how Jesus fits into the grand narrative. He was the promised one. And He came, and God was faithful, no matter how long it took. 
Our salvation, not only has he come, our salvation has been purchased. There is salvation in none other than Jesus Christ. We saw it on Good Friday. Jesus' sacrifice was the atonement. We looked at that this week, this Wednesday in Leviticus 15 and 16. Atonement. Satisfactory payment, the propitiation. So that of our sin debt, so that God could be just and the justifier of those who have faith in Christ, that God could rightly forgive sinners. The point of that is Jesus' death. Purchased, satisfied. But not only that, our inheritance is secure. Therefore, therefore, we can rejoice no matter what. We are secure in grace. It doesn't mean we abuse grace. It doesn't mean... It doesn't mean that we go live however we want. No, no. It means that we are secure in grace, that we can suffer securely and confidently because of God's grace. That one day, one day, through all these perfections, through all these trials, one day our faith will prove more precious than even gold. You are safe in God's grace no matter what you face. Rejoice in that truth. The the outcome of your faith will be If it is in Christ alone, it will be the salvation of your soul. Believer, again, I close with this. You are safe in God's grace. Therefore, you can rejoice no matter what you face. And if you're not a believer today, that same promise is offered to you in Christ. Repent of your sin. Believe. That same promise can be yours today through faith. And if that's you today and you desire that, I pray that God's working in your life and I pray that you'd come talk to me afterwards. But uh, if you're currently a believer, trust in that. You are safe in God's grace.